Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Again, it's our privilege to welcome you to the program and inviting you to stay with us for this hour because we are going to talk uh, about a very important uh, topic, I believe, understanding the human nature. I'd like to say welcome to the panel today, and I've got uh, with us here Jerry. It's good to have you with us. Nice to be here, Nick. Thank you. Brenton also, thank you for joining. A pleasure, Nick, and looking forward to sharing this Bible study. Denise, it's good to have you part of this too. Nice to be here. Thank you. And Ken, thank you for joining. Always a privilege to be here, Nick. Lydia, it's good to have you with us. Yeah, very delighted to be part of the, this Bible study, always. Joe, thank you for uh, coming uh, again together with the panel. Thank you, Nick. It's, um, it's always a pleasure, something I look forward to. And Len, it's good to have you part of this. And thank you so much for um, preparing this Bible study and facilitating today. Welcome to the program. Blessings on you, Nick. And hello, listeners. All right, Len. Well, um, let's uh, uh, start today and uh, please take us through. All right. Well, listeners, we're doing the topic today, as has already been mentioned. Um, the topic is understanding human nature. So what is man? Now, that's a very simple and yet a very complex question. The Greek philosopher Plato described man as a featherless biped. Well, so as a plucked chook. Aristotle defined man as a speaking animal. An animal? Well, that's not exactly flattering, is it? Darwin defined man as apes that by chance evolved into Homo sapiens. So does that mean our ancestors were monkeys? Well, that's nothing really to be proud of. On the other hand, considering what many humans are like, perhaps monkeys would have a good reason to be ashamed of their alleged offspring. Another view is that man is made up of three parts, body, soul and spirit. A spin-off from this view is that soul or spirit are able to exist separately from the body. So is that true? Is there any reliable information source to determine the truth of the matter? Has anyone made records of what happened when they died to show that is the case? And if not, why not? Today, we will give you the answers to these questions from the Word of God. It is the only reliable source of information about how life originated and what happens at death. But before we launch into this topic and open our Bibles, Brenton is going to pray for us. Father in heaven, through Jesus our Saviour, we come today to study your word, 
Jesus made a statement, I am the resurrection and the life, and we believe all life is found in him. As we unpack your word today as a panel and uh, for those who are listening, Lord, I pray earnestly that any um, wrong ideas that we may have of what happens to a person when they die, your word and the truth of your word will sweep away those misconceptions today. Give us a clear understanding of what Jesus meant and what is going to happen in the future. Where are our loved ones now? We pray, Lord, that these uh, issues will be resolved as we open your word today. We invite your Holy Spirit to really touch our hearts as we share together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. Well, my first question is to you, Joe. In creation, what was different in creating man from other living creatures? Well, if I read Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, it might give us some idea. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them there are a couple of differences from this reading um it appears that god spoke all the other living creatures into existence Len, but with man it was not so adam and eve did not just appear at the voice of god but were formed What is also interesting in these texts that I've read is that the animals were created after their own kind, but man was created in the image of God. And it says, as you remember, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. It was repeated twice, and I believe that was an important emphasis. Well, that's pretty clear. Now, Denise, um, what process did God use to make man? Well, if we have a look in Genesis 2, verse 7, we have a description of the process, and I'm reading from the um, New International Version, and it goes like this. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Some translations say a living soul. So God was like a sculptor making man's body out of the dust of the earth um, and then he breathed into him the living breath of himself and man became alive. Okay. Now, a lot of people uh, concentrate on the breath of life. I would like to suggest that God gave man life at this particular point. Now, Ken, uh, we've had a few words and terms used here. Would you like to give us a summary of what both Joe and Denise were sharing? Yes, basically we're looking at uh, 
man is dust, which is physical, plus breath, life, spirit, consciousness, and soul. A living man is a soul rather than has a soul. Now, this is very interesting as a Hebrew word for living soul, which has the same meaning apparently as the Greek word is nephesh, which I believe in simple terms means to breathe. Apparently, the idea of an immortal soul goes back to the Egyptians. It's not something you will find in the Bible, as we read in Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, which I believe we're going to look at later on. All right. So you've uh, you've certainly told us there, Ken. So man is a soul rather than has a soul. Now, I'd just like to share a little analogy here to help us understand. You've got the physical part of man, which is made of the elements and the compounds of the earth, and then you've got life, which God gave. It's a bit like making a box. You've got uh, some boards, and you're going to make a box, and you've got some nails, and so you cut the boards to fit, and then you put the nails in. You've got a box. What happens if you pull the nails out? falls apart. It falls apart. You don't have a box. And so mankind, soul, um, in fact, as I look at uh, you today, I can see there are eight souls in front of me. Soul refers to the person, not a part of the person. So that box analogy helps us to understand the physical The boards, the nails, if you like, represent life. Take out the life, take out the nails, the box falls apart. Lydia. As we read in uh, uh, Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, that was read before, that God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Actually, God, the creator, he had the power to say it, and take place but he took the place like a potter he worked into the soil and molded and gave shape so this is very interesting to comment because when we do something we place heart and soul in 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 a painting in a molding Something So God put heart and soul in everything that he made. He didn't want to just uh, to, um, uh, just to say it and do it. Although both animals and men alike were made from the ground, the formation of the man was distinct from that of animals in two main, two main ways. First, God shaped the man physically and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And secondly, God created humanity as both male and female in the very image and likeness of the Godhead. Genesis 2-7 explains that the infusion of the breath of life into the physical body of Adam transformed him into a living being. So it says here that God 
breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It means that uh, each of us does not have a soul that can exist apart from the body. Rather, each one of us is a living being or a living soul. The claim that this soul is a conscience entity that can exist separate from the body is a pagan, not a biblical idea. Understanding the true nature of humanity prevents us from accepting the popular notion of an immaterial soul and all the dangerous errors built upon this belief. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ledger. That uh, explained things perfectly well. That the soul refers not to a conscious entity that can exist separately to the body. It's just a question that I was ruminating, ruminating on this morning, uh, Len. Uh, if there is such a thing as an immortal soul and it is conscious and it is able to think and plan and all the rest of it, which the Bible says it's not, it tends to contradict what God said when he gave Adam and Eve work to do. When they were created, they were actually given work to do. Now, a so-called immortal soul, in inverted commas, does nothing. It can't support its loved ones down on earth, either by comforting them or, or helping them in any material way. It can't make their standard of living better. It can't uh, comfort them when they're in sorrow. It can't actually do anything. So it seems to me that if there, if there were such a thing as an immortal soul, it contradicts what God's original purpose for man was. Because as we studied in our study last week, you, you remember uh, God told Adam that he would eat bread by the sweat of his brow. He would have to work for a living. Now, an immortal soul doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. So if you compare what God's original plan was with the idea of an immortal soul, the two are totally incompatible. Yes, and, and I must add here as an explanation, you were referring to the concept of an intelligent entity yes. which yes. can be separate from the body, which, of course, is a contradiction. Yes, Joe. Yeah, I wonder if it's worth noting that the word nefesh, because we were talking about nefesh earlier, um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but apparently the same word is used for living creatures, but was yes. as far as when, when the interpreters wrote it, uh, spoke about humans, they inserted the word soul, but apparently nefesh was the word used in Hebrew for living creatures of all kind and the living being and, and human and humans themselves. So um, there's no real reason why there should be different words um, in the interpretation. That's a good observation. Thank you. Well, now we've been talking about how man was made in the first place. Now we're going to look at the opposite side of things, what happens when a person dies. So, Jerry, there are some very pointed texts in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 4 and 20, which explain uh, what happens when a person sins. Would you like to share with that? Uh, yes, Len. It says in verse 4 of chapter 18, Ezekiel, 
And I'm reading from the New King James. It says there, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the, of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And in verse 20, it uses the same words. The soul who sins shall die. Now, uh, we've had a few analogies so far. I, I like to uh, use this one. It really helps me uh, remember what we're talking about when we're dealing with soul. You know, when people go bush and they uh, break down in their vehicle, often you read that they um, they put the words SOS in the, on the ground. They, they pick up a whole bunch of stones and they try and make a big SOS so that they could be spotted from the air. Now that every everybody's familiar with that, um, with what that means, save our souls. So, what, which part of them wants to be saved? Hmm. It's basically meaning save us, not just a part of us. So, when it says the soul who sins shall die, we're talking about the the, the being, the person, and when they die, death is the opposite to life, not a continuation. It's the cessation of life. It's over when you die. And it's interesting how the word soul is used in different ways throughout Scripture. Can I give a few examples? Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So what does that mean, soul? Isn't it simply you will find rest for yourself, for your being? Matthew 12, verse 18, it says, Behold, my servant in whom I have, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. This is the Lord speaking of his son, in whom I am well pleased. That simply means I, um, and so on. Well, there's many, there's many different ways that the word soul is used, but, uh, getting back to your original question, Lynn, the soul who sins shall die. That means if a being sins that being that person will die it's the opposite of life it comes to an end all right thank you jerry nick you wanted to add i just wanted to add to that passage which jerry was um, uh, reading from ezekiel uh, in verse four uh, again yeah it says that the um, uh, the soul of the Father is mine, the soul of the son is mine. And people then can draw that conclusion that uh, God is talking about here something, you know, part of that individual, you know, the soul of the son or the soul of the father. But actually, if you look uh, further down in the, um, in the next verses, and as uh, Jerry was also quoting verse 20, it makes reference here of the attitude of that individual and talking about in yeah again in verse 20 it says here that um, the soul who sins shall die and what that means it means that we are responsible for what we do and god it's uh, addressing that aspect he's not saying that okay if we sin God will just punish that thing which we don't see, which is, let's say, the soul or something like that. I mean, it will be the whole being punished. Is that not right? 
Yes. Yes. Well, we discussed last week, of course, what happened on planet Earth when Adam and Eve sinned. They died. It wasn't just part of them that died. It was the whole lot. Yes, Joe? Interestingly, the word for soul, even in Ezekiel, is nephesh, Mm. or the derivative of nephesh. So, yeah, just... It's good to keep in mind that we're talking about a living creature. We're talking about the whole entity rather than a specific part of one. Yes, and that's important to keep in mind. Well, panel, perhaps a a short answer or two here would be good. What do you say about the popular teaching that at death a non-physical but conscious part of a person goes to another place? be it heaven, hell, or reincarnated in another form. And what's wrong with that teaching? Yes, Brenton? John 11 answers it very well. Len, we haven't got time to study John 11 today, but John 11, when Jesus called Lazarus to life again, he said, Lazarus, come out. Now, if the soul had gone to heaven, he really should have said, Lazarus, come down and live in your body again. Lazarus, when he did come out and when he was released, had nothing to tell because there was was nothing for him to tell. I think this is an incredibly important point to look into because the Bible makes it very clear that when you die, that's it, and the soul goes back to the Lord. And what's so important about it is that there's so many people today uh, supposedly are talking to dead people, and they think they're talking to loved ones or relatives, but in actual fact, they're talking to demons. Yes. Denise. What comes to mind for me is that if we believe that we go somewhere when we die, then there's no need for Jesus to return to resurrect us from death to life. So it it takes him out of the picture. Okay. Jerry? Yeah, it it flies in the face of what is clearly stated in in Genesis uh, chapter 3, where the Lord said, if you... If you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And, of course, Satan's response to that was, you shall not surely die. So um, we have to make a choice, you know, who's right? And really, we've only got the scripture to go by. And that's why uh, often we, you know, we say, even when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by by Satan, he said, uh, it is written. And we always have to come back to scripture and find out what does the Bible say. Yes, that's very important. I believe that some people have used parts of Scripture and tainted the meanings that are there. Nick? I just want to make a a little correction uh, there. I know uh, when Ken was saying that uh, the body, you know, I mean, goes into the dust and the soul returns to God. I mean, he was meaning, and I'm pretty sure that was the case, that uh, the breath of life, which God gave, returns to God because the soul ceased to exist. As we understand, when the separation of the breath of life and uh, the dust, each returns to the previous condition. Okay. Uh, yes, some lively discussion on this one. Yes, Brenton? Ken touched on a good point. I think uh, the point that needs to be made is this. What we've studied so far, then, is that there is no such thing as an immortal soul. It is not a conscious being that can communicate in any way. Now, if that is so, 
we should question seriously for our own personal salvation if we are talking to what we assume to be our dead relatives or our loved ones we should question the source of where that's coming from if the bible says the exact opposite well now brenton in ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 1 to 6 there's a word picture of what happens as a person grows old Mm. Would you like to contrast that with Genesis 2, 7? Actually, Solomon gives a warning. He says here to remember the creator while you're young, while you're virile, while you're um, active, uh, before the days, shall we say, of old age draw on. And then he uses some rather poetic language between verse 2 and 6 to contrast various things. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. He's talking about poor eyesight, I believe, Len. Down in verse 4, he talks about when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. Um, many Bible commentators have suggested this means a loss of teeth, maybe false teeth. In other words, the inability to be able to masticate as once uh, one once did when one had a full set of teeth. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, Often old people find that as an issue. They're up and down all night due to various reasons and their sleep is broken. Verse 5, they're afraid of heights and so on and so forth. And it also talks about the strong men stooping. Old age comes in and your um, joints, your legs, your thighs are not what they once were. Amen. Um, all of this initially is, it can be a bit... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Depressing, I suppose. But um, it's contrasted with uh, Genesis 2, 7, which Denise read, where it said that man was formed from the dust of the ground, etc., etc., etc. Basically, it's a reversal. What happens in old age and approaching death is that it's a reversal of what took place in life. Now, Solomon knew what he was talking about because I believe he's, writing the book of Ecclesiastes in his old age and reflecting on his mistakes, reflecting on the fact that his um, the virility and his energy levels are not what they once were. And I think uh, we all can um, sort of tune in on that particular thing. So basically that's that's a, a brief summary, Len. It's, it's very poetic. If you read it through very carefully, it's extremely poetic. But I believe he's simply referring to the fact that Eventually, a person dies and goes back to the state that Denise described in Genesis 2-7 when man was created in the first place. All right. So in Genesis 2-7, from the dust of the ground plus the yep. breath of life mm -hmm. became a living soul. At death, as you it's well stated, there it's is a reversal. A reversal. Mm -hmm. So the breath of life or life goes back to God and the person returns into the organic and the inorganic compounds that it was first made from. Basically, yes. Now, I know a lot of people have become very hung up on the last bit of chapter 12, verse 7, where it says, And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. I was thinking about this and thinking, all right, with that uh, particular philosophy or idea, many people claim that a good person's spirit goes straight to heaven 
as a conscious entity. But what about a bad person? If the, if the text says, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, what then is the deal with the person who supposedly goes straight to hell, Nick? Yes, Len, I think you already said um, the idea. I mean, we talked about this, uh, where it goes, you know, the um, spirit, because this is interesting thought. We mentioned here about the body, we talked about the soul, but also it's spirit, it's involved here. And some people can be confused mm-hmm. of that aspect, what that spirit means. But to just uh, elaborate a little bit on uh, that aspect, Len, you're right, actually, if the soul, if we believe that a separate entity goes to God, and let's say those people who are doing good, who are saved, that's okay. But the verse here in Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 12, verse 7, it says, doesn't, mean, doesn't say that about the righteous or unrighteous. It says simply about death. And it makes it clear that the dust returned to dust, where it was taken from, and the Spirit of God returns to God, uh, which God gave it, you know, I mean, uh, breathe in the nostril of man, and um, <laughs> that stature, which Denis mentioned, I believe, or somebody that became a living soul. Now, it's very interesting, this aspect, because as we studied in the previous yeah, Bible study, God said to human beings that in the day you will sin, you will die. But Satan or the enemy said the other way, you'll not surely die, which means he made a reference now, which a lot of people believe in the immortal soul. And I'm just asking the question, who do you believe? Do you believe God? who says that in the day you will sin, you will die, or you believe the enemy of God, Satan, who says you will not surely die. Because if we still uphold this belief of immortal soul, I think we give credit to Satan. Yes. Good point. And many people have been indoctrinated with the idea that the con- a conscious entity, sometimes called the soul, sometimes called the spirit, uh, goes to God. But when we look uh, at how man was made initially, it was substance plus life. When a person dies, the substance remains and the life goes back to God. It's not talking about a conscious entity. So... There are some texts in scriptures that help us to understand that it's not a conscious entity that goes back to God. It's life. God gave it in the first place. It's not ours inherently. It's been lent to us, in, if you like to put it that way. So what, what does Psalm 115 verse 17 tell us, Joe? Well, I'll, I'll read that from the message. It says, dead people can't praise God. Not a word to be heard from those buried in the ground. But we bless God. Oh, yes, we bless him now. We bless him always. Hallelujah. 
Uh, praise to God only from what the psalmist says comes from the living. If the dead, are, if the dead cannot praise, then might they? Might I add that they can't communicate? So if they can't praise, they can't communicate, not with one another, and not with those who are living. Another text that came to mind was Psalm eighty-eight. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? So we have here, not only can they not communicate, but they cannot see either. Hence, clearly from scripture, it is not what, you know, you or I have said, there is neither praise nor communications of any kind among those that are dead, nor can they see and appreciate beauty any longer. Well said. One would think if there is a conscious entity that goes up to heaven at death, it should be full of praise to God. But the Bible says, no, when a person dies, they do not praise God. Brenton. Um, A good text for that one, uh, Len, just to complement what Joe has said is Job 14 verse 20, his sons come to honour and he knows it not. They are brought low, but he perceives it not. I think that summarises pretty well. Thank you, Brenton. Well, let's move on. What about thoughts, Jerry? Yes, in in Psalm 146, I'd like to read um, verse 1 and 2 and then 4 from the New King James Bible. It says here, Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And then in verse 4 it says, His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. So from verse 1 and 2 we read that while he has his being, while he is still alive, essentially that's what it means, uh, he praises the Lord. But... When he dies, his spirit departs and he returns to the earth from which he came. And in that day, his plans perish. He he is not a, a conscious being anymore. Consciousness means that you're aware, that you're alert of, what, of, of what's happening. You have to be conscious for that. Yes. To, to, to be. Um, if you cease to exist, you're no longer conscious. So therefore your thoughts perish as well. Yes, well that's important to realise that because of this idea that's been pushed around so often and so much and I've heard it several times at funerals I uh, so and so is now up in heaven. Mm. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It says that the life, or in uh, Ecclesiastes, put as spirit, that goes back to God. Hmm. Well, let's uh, look at somebody who is dealing with life's issues, as many people have. There are plenty of people in society who are wracked with pain and, and physical problems who only wish they could die. And we've got some laws now to allow assisted deaths, and uh, the the patriarch Job was moaning, if you like, about his issues, 
So, Denise, would you like to just explain what he, why he desired death? Sure. In Job chapter 3, we have Job moaning about being born um, because of the terrible troubles that he was having to deal with, loss of family members, loss of all his property and his um, animals. Um, he indicates that given the difficult circumstances he was in, that he would prefer to be dead. Um, and he also describes death. So if we read in Job 3, verses, I think we need to start at verse 11, where it says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? And then in verse 13, he says, for now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest. So Job's description of death is it's like sleeping. It's like resting when we're asleep. With no conscious activity. All right, going on with this particular theme, that the dead don't have any plans, don't participate in life, don't praise God. What does Ecclesiastes 9.5 say, Lydia? As we read in Ecclesiastes 9.5, it says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward and even the memory of them is forgotten. So it says clearly that the dead know nothing, and in the grave there is no work, no device, or knowledge of, or wisdom. So these statements confirm that the biblical teaching that the dead are unconscious. Yes, like a stone on the ground. They would know as much as a stone on the ground. Yes, Nick? But you see, there is a lot of uh, belief these days that, and, and many people actually, they uh, have that experience. They going to talk to the dead. Uh, and that again raise another concern that if, uh, if the dead is conscious, you know, and you can uh, approach them and ask even for the future things to come, it's a, it's a big question mark. Because the Bible speaks a lot about what happened at death, as you, Lydia just mentioned, and we all mention about that. I believe we are walking on a very dangerous ground when we start to uh, apply certain things we like to hear or see or whatever, have a, an opinion, because this is a very sensitive topic, what we are um, discussing today about the immortal soul or these aspects, because many people who love to think that their loved ones are somewhere in a, in a safe place, you know, they are doing well, and so on and so forth, rather than to just accept that we are going to rest, we are going to be at sleep until God, Jesus, call us again to be awakened. I think this is very interesting, and we can go on and on on this one because it's a very wide um, topic. And I think you've uh, put something very important uh, in place here, Nick, You're talking about resurrection, but we'll leave that till a little later. Brenton? I would like to say to our listeners, 
that there is a book available called The Great Controversy, and in Chapter 34, it's entitled Can Our Dead Speak to Us? I think we should invite our listeners, if they wish, to avail themselves of this book, and I'm sure if they contact Faith FM, they will be able to get a copy of it. I'd thoroughly recommend reading Chapter 34. It's well worth a read, not only for ourselves as panel, but also for those who are listening. Brenton, while you said that, I would like to mention that we have a number uh, even to this program where people can... Uh, oh, okay, ask. Nick, I wasn't aware of that. Yes, and we have also an email where people, uh, again, can uh, request that book. And as you mentioned that book, I'll invite my dear friend uh, listening today to request that book and will be very happy to organize the book to come to you. Send us an email to ionkrita at yahoo.com or um, even send a text message on 0401305077. Thanks, Nick. And thank you for the ad break. But it's important, listeners, if you want to know more for yourself and take your time rather than have to cram everything into a panel discussion for one hour, to have a look at those, but read those, that book and you will um, find it very enlightening. Now, following on from what Lydia said before, what she read from Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5, where, the de- where it says, the dead know nothing. What does it say in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 6 and 10? Yes, Ken. It says... Liam, also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. And verse 10, whosoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for here is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. So again, it makes us very, very clear what happens when we die. Yes. No emotions. Nothing. No. Uh-huh. All right. Now, um, we have an expression mentioned in First Kings verse, chapter 2, verse 10, and other places. Uh, it says, slept with his fathers, referring to a notable character. Brendan, what's that phrase mean? Slept uh, with his fathers. I, I looked it up, um, Len, in the Bible commentary. The best I could come up with is that it simply meant they were buried in their family tomb. Uh, David was buried in the tomb of his, his fathers, and that's the First Kings 2 verse 10 reference. The First Kings 22 verse 40 reference, I believe, refers to Ahab. It simply means that both kings, now David was one of the best kings Israel ever had, Ahab was one of the worst kings Israel ever had, good and bad together. They both sleep in their father's tomb. It simply means that they are placed in their family tomb. One, I believe, will be resurrected to see the Lord return, that's David, and the other one, I'm afraid, will be resurrected at a different time. But that's another study for another time. Hmm. All right, in my initial comments today, I um, made suggestion about what is the authority with regard to uh, the the nature of man. I also suggested it would be 
has anybody rather who's been dead written a book so that we can know all about it? Of course, it hasn't. However, the Gospel of John records what happened to a man called Lazarus who died and he rose from the dead. Nick, would you share a little bit about Lazarus with us? Sure. And this is a very well-known story in the Bible. Many people will point to this. It created a little bit of confusion even in the, in the minds of the disciples because when the news came that uh, Lazarus has died, uh, Jesus actually said, okay, he's asleep. I'm going to wake him up. And then the disciples straight away thought, oh, well, if he's sleeping, hopefully he will get well. But uh, Jesus mentioned straight away, no, actually he is dead. And uh, we can read this uh, uh, in verse um, 14 now. Then Jesus said plainly to them, Lazarus is dead. What I want to draw out of this uh, story is that Jesus try to to share with the disciples this thought that we are going to sleep and await, as we mentioned a bit earlier, for the time of resurrection. Because that, if we look in the context of uh, previous study, when God says that when you will sin, you will die. The penalty of sin is death. But because of Jesus' plan of salvation is that we are asleep now when we die. And when we are raised again, we'll receive everlasting life. Not the life, you know, of the soul, which goes on and on, even during this time in, in life. I believe it's very interesting uh, uh, subject, which we can look at that. Bottom line is, that Jesus made that difference in between death and sleep. Okay. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. As a result, she became pregnant, and God said that the child that was born to them would die. Now, this is what the Bible says, and he said, that's David. While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I think that summarises it pretty well then. Yeah, just quickly regarding this uh, concept of uh, sleep in death, you find that throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, and I think Nick touched on it too, that uh, Jesus is the ultimate authority when it comes to what happens when you die. And Jesus made it very, very clear. It was unambiguous in that chapter, in uh, chapter 11. But again, I mean, there are other, other, many other examples of uh, death being like sleep. Uh, when um, in the last verse of chapter seven of Acts, where Stephen uh, dies, we're stoned to death. It simply says there, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Asleep. Um, and so, and, and the apostle Paul especially writes over and over and over, about this concept in uh, First Corinthians chapter 15. I think there's four or five res- references to sleep. First Thessalonians 4.16 and, and so forth. Sleep. Over and over again, the concept is repeated. All right. Now, those people who assume that a conscious entity goes 
up to heaven or to hell when a person dies really are assuming that um, the soul is immortal. But what does 1 Corinthians 15 have to say about this, Joe? Well, it's very interesting. Um, if the dead had any consciousness when dead, then they would truly not be dead, would they? They wouldn't be dead, tr- truly dead. If a part of them, say their mind or personality in some form, went on living, they would in a sense be immortal. And I think that's been touched on. And that would mean that what the serpent told Eve was the truth and not a lie, that you shall not truly die, which means that disobedience does not lead to death, a permanent state. This would then make God the liar, not the devil. And hence many mistakenly believe that man or woman, good or bad, goes on living somewhere and that their soul is immortal. Well, that is not what God said. God had told them that they would surely truly die, which they did, and everyone after them, some sooner than others, but die they did. Now, Apostle Paul tells us when the faithful actually receive immortality, and I'll read it from the message. But I am telling you this strange and wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but we shall all be given new bodies. It will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For there will be a trumpet blast from the sky and all the Christians who have died will suddenly come alive with new bodies that will never, never die. And then we who are still alive shall suddenly have new bodies too. For our earthly bodies, the ones we have now that can die, must be transformed into heavenly bodies that cannot perish but will live forever. When this happens, then at last this scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where then your victory? Where then your sting? And that's a little quote from Mosea that he quoted. Very interesting. It tells us exactly when a human becomes immortal. It's not now. It is at the at the last trump All right. well, when the dead in Christ come up. Yeah. That, that's clear enough. One thing to add to that, Ken, uh, some people assume man has immortality. What does it say in uh, the book of First Timothy, chapter 6 and verse 16? Again, then it points out that who only hath immortality, dealing in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honour, power and everlasting Now, this is clearly talking about God, and he's the only person, you can call him a person, but the only being that has immortality and an everlasting soul. And that's clear enough, isn't it? It's God who has immortality, not us human beings. Yes. All right. Well, now, um, to use an example of David, David, King David was mentioned earlier. What does it say in Acts chapter 2? And verse 34. Well, David is considered the man after God's own heart, and we know what what David uh, descended into. But we also know that he was uh, fully repentant and that God forgave him. Now, if he was a good man, then uh, according to the popular theory, he would be in heaven because that's that's where you go if you're good. That's what most people believe. That's not what the Bible teaches, because here it says in verse 34, for David himself did not ascend into the heavens, 
in fact, if you go back a few verses uh, to verse 29, it says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So um, it's very clear he's not in heaven. Like everybody else who's lived and died, he's ceased to exist until the resurrection. Um, Hebrews 11 verse 39 also says, and all these, that is talking about all the, the faithful, there's an honor roll of the faithful, have obtained, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Now, of course, the promise is everlasting life. That's what we long for. So if David's not in heaven, it's fair enough. It gives us an idea of what happens when other people uh, are um, thinking they're going to go to heaven. Well, now, Denise, humanly speaking, death is irreversible, but not with God, who's the life giver. What does John 5.29 say about the resurrection? All right, I'm reading from the New International Version, and I'm starting at verse 28. So I'm reading verse 28 and 29. It says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So what I get from this is the reason that death is asleep is so that Jesus can come and wake us up and give us eternal life and give us the life because he is the life giver. Yes, and that will be life eternal. And as far as I'm concerned, that's really good news. My dear friend, listening today, as we said a little bit early, we had a wonderful book which would like to give you the great controversy. I'd just like to read maybe a couple of uh, sentences from that book. If it were true that the soul of all men passed directly to heaven at the hour of dissolution, then we might well covet death rather than life. Many have been led by the but this belief to put an end to their existence when overwhelmed with trouble, perplexity, and disappointment. It seems an easy thing to break the brittle thread of life and soar away into bliss of the eternal world. And I believe that makes a lot of sense. People would rather wish for to die than to live. If that's the case that the soul uh, is going uh, to to heaven when we die, I believe this book will um, bring to your attention some very good insights in regard to uh, to this uh, topic. Yes. All right. Well, now we've basically reached the end of our study, except the conclusion, the summary, and we have a number of points which are good for us to remember. And I'm going to ask you, panel members, if you would like to give those points just one after another, like a machine gun going off. So what's the summary of today's program? That the man is soul, a living human being rather than has a soul. The only man was created by God, Lynn, and he only became a living soul when God breathed into him. The breath of life. Although man is physical and intellectual, 
everything, the whole being stops functioning. All that is suspended at death. At death, there is no conscious entity that leaves the body to go somewhere else. Death is a state of complete unconsciousness with no thoughts, no praise, no plans, no feelings. Death has been likened to a sleep, a state of complete unconsciousness. Immortality will be given to the saints at the return of Jesus and not before. When God makes all things new, death will be a thing of the past. It will no longer exist. Jesus said, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Our hope hangs on Jesus, who's going to give eternal life to us when he returns, as he said in John 11. Thank you, panel members. That was a good summary. Dear listeners, we hope today's Bible study panel discussion has cleared up some of the questions you may have had regarding human nature. We hope also that you have placed your life in the hands of our Saviour Jesus Christ, the one and only who surrendered his perfect life in order to pay the penalty for our sins and to give us eternal life. And as we close today's program, I hope you give consideration to what we've been sharing with you from God's word, not from other sources. Denise, would you pray for us and the listeners? Yes. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this study today. We thank you that we've been able to look at what the Bible says about death and resurrection and what happens when we die and how Jesus fits into that picture. And I pray that you will be with our listeners as they uh, listen to the study today and as they search for themselves. I pray that the Holy Spirit will um, help them to understand uh, the importance of what happens when we die and how Jesus fits into that picture and that he wants to give us eternal life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Denise. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you, everyone, uh, for sharing today. And I hope that your souls will go well today and uh, you may uh, be able to praise God in everything what you do. And my dear friend listening today, we're inviting you again to join us next time when we are going to look uh, a little bit more into the Old Testament hope. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus.